Well, in our reading we read a very important verse. So Luke chapter 24 is where we were reading. And the particularly important verse is verse 32. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So I'm going to talk to you about burning hearts. Burning hearts. So what do we have in this passage? Well, we have a number of things, but the first thing we see is that we have two disciples having an experience. Here they are in Jerusalem. They're going to walk seven miles to Emmaus. Have you ever walked seven miles? Seven miles in the sun, the heat, seven miles when you're discouraged. This is what we're talking about. Was it two men? One was called Cleopas, or was it a man and his wife? Uh, I think probably a man and his wife, but I may be wrong. But as someone once said to me, only a woman would have the sense to say, stay with us, (laughs) for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. That sounds like a hospitable woman, doesn't it? Saying, come on now, you don't need to go on your journey, just stay the night with us, you can go on tomorrow. Um, As you know, women are infinitely more more wise than than men are. That's because we're brain damaged and they're not. I think that's a biological fact, but we won't get off the subject. (laughs) Two disciples and they're down in the dumps because their world is finished. They're in tatters. For three and a half years, they've been following Jesus of Nazareth. For three and a half years they've heard this wonderful teaching. They've seen these extraordinary miracles. They've even seen dead people raised to life. They see Jesus come into Jerusalem just like the old prophet said. Yes, riding on an ass but being proclaimed a king. And then they've seen him shamefully treated, go through a number of mock trials horribly scourged and beaten and whipped, crucified, buried. And the world has come to an end. Disappointed hopes doesn't really do it justice. Their world is completely shattered. It's the end of everything they were hoping for. And yet, and yet, Strange things are happening to to their ears because there are women who say they've been to the tomb where Jesus was laid and he's not there. And these women are saying that they've, they've seen angels who've told them that he's risen from the dead. And it's all been checked up. The, the, the grave really is empty. But we haven't seen the Lord ourselves and added to all their down in the dumpsness, they're, they're confused and bewildered. And is, is this old wives' tales? Is this an invention? Is this a what is it? Are we to believe this? Is it, their world is at an end. And then they're aware that somebody's walking with them. Where did he come from? And they start pouring out their troubles to him. And he gives them a very mild telling off. You're you're terribly slow of heart to believe what the 
scriptures have been teaching all these years, aren't you? Really, you're very foolish, aren't you, in what you're saying, says this stranger. And then he begins at the beginning of the Old Testament and he starts talking about the coming Christ, the coming Messiah. And he goes through all the books of the Old Testament, 39 books as they are in our present Bible, showing how here and here and here and here and here and here and here here, it's all predicted that when the Messiah comes he will suffer. He will suffer like that. And it's all becoming a little bit clear in their mind. Yes, yes it does say that his bones won't be broken. Yes, it does say that his his blood will be shed. Yes, it does say that his hands and his feet will be pierced. Yes, it, it does say that people will cast lots for his clothes. Yes, it does say that he'll be, he'll be dying thirsty. Yes, yes, it does say that after he's died he will, he will live again and everything he's died and lived and died for, well, it'll prove worthwhile. Yes, yet it does say he's God. Yes, it does say that he will return to where he... And it's all becoming clear. And there's something inside them saying, Yes! But they didn't put it like that. After he's disappeared, they're saying, Did you feel what I felt? Their exact words are those in verse 32. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And if you said to Cleopas and whoever was with him, maybe Mrs. Cleopas, tell us about that day, they would say, well, something happened to us. All through that conversation, Something happened to us. Now, I have a secret theory that actually Cleopas and his wife were Welsh. (laughs) Because one of the characteristics of the Welsh, and if you're Welsh, you'll know that this is true, is that if you're a Welshman or a Welshwoman, you can talk and you can walk, but you can't do both at the same time. So if you're walking, you're not talking, and if you're talking, you're not walking. I reckon this took rather a long time because the moment Jesus asked them a question, they stand still. So for several hours, their heart has been warming up. Yes, Cleopas, it happened to me too. Something happened to me. And it happened all the way through that conversation. All the way. And that's what we call Christian experience. Something happened to me. Some people think that the Christian life is like me, standing on two legs. But something which stands on two legs is very easy to push over. Some people think that the Christian life is believing the right things, and we call that doctrine, and behaving the right way, and we call that ethics. And they believe that's it, that's Christianity. Believing the right things, behaving the right way. 
doctrine, ethics. That's not the Christianity I find in the Bible. The Christianity in the Bible is a three-legged stool. Have you ever been to those restaurants where the tables wobble? Have you ever been to one of those? And when you lean on the table, the whole thing wobbles and the tea gets spilled and the soup goes over. That's because it's got four legs and the floor isn't actually very very uh, flat. But every restaurant should have a three, three have three-leg tables because a three-leg table never wobbles. You know that, don't you? It's obvious. And three-legged Christianity is what the Bible teaches. It's doctrine believing the right things, it's ethics, behaving the right way, and it's experience. We have actual dealings with the living God. We have actual spiritual things happening to us from God. That's what this sermon is about. So we have two disciples having an experience. Now, secondly, on this occasion, we have two disciples having an identical experience. Verse 32. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures? Cleopas, my my heart was burning. And the other person says, And Cleopas says, yes, and my heart was burning. Did it happen to you as well? Yes, did it happen to you as well? Yes. But it's not always like that. There's an occasion in the Old Testament where the temple, having been destroyed, is rebuilt after some considerable time. But there are still a few old people who can remember the previous temple. So the foundations of the temple are laid, the new temple, and there's a very elaborate ceremony with music and singing and symbols and prayers and praise and shouting. And there's people shouting for joy. Oh, the temple is going to be rebuilt. There's the foundations. This is in Ezra chapter 3 if you ever want to look it up. And there's some people weeping the place down, crying their eyes out. And the noise is so considerable, says the Bible, people couldn't tell who was shouting and who was weeping because there was so much noise going on and they were all witnessing the same events but they were not all having the same experience. For some, it made them want to dance with joy. And for others, it just brought back bad memories of a destroyed temple. And this, this one didn't look like it was going to be anything like as good as the previous one. And they're glad that the temple is being rebuilt and they're disappointed that it's not as good as the previous one. And there's a whole variety of emotions all going on at the same time at the same event. There's a vast spectrum of Christian experience, as we preachers know. So a preacher may be preaching on the cross, and suddenly someone gets up over there and goes, 
Wonderful! And those who aren't too embarrassed look around to see who did it. And there's somebody over there with their head between their knees and they're crying like a baby because their sins, their sins, their sins needed atonement which led to a crucifixion of the incarnate God. It's the same sermon. It's the same thing they see in their mind. But this one experiences joy which he can't express and this one experiences a joy which is completely different and more tranquil and is mingled up with shame. But something's happening, something's happening, something's happening, something's happening. But it's not the same thing which is happening in each person. So, although doctrine is the same for us all, and it is, and ethics are the same for us all, and they are, Christian experience, which is a vital part of the Christian life, is not identical in each person, and therefore we must not impose our experiences on other people. In this chapter, you see all sorts of experiences. In verse 37, for example, they're startled and frightened. In verse 38, they're, they're troubled and they've got doubts. And towards the end, you'll see that they're filled with great joy and filled with praise. There's a whole, whole, whole menu of different experiences which Christians can have. But there's some experiences which we all have. My Bible tells me that if I'm a true Christian and you're a true Christian, we can talk together about the fact that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you're a Christian and I'm a Christian, there's certain things we can talk about together where our experiences are identical. He loves me and I find that I love him. So, two Christians having an experience, two Christians having an identical experience. Now, number three, the author of that experience. You'll find that in verse 15. What does it say? As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them but they were kept from recognizing him, which often happened after the resurrection. Now then, how is it that such a thing as experience is possible? It's because there is actually a risen Christ. Christ has risen. And therefore he, as a person, and he does this by his, the presence of his Holy Spirit, he has dealings with people. If there was no risen Christ, there would be no experiences. But there is a risen Christ who works in the world by the Holy Spirit who he sends into people's hearts. So it isn't just doctrine, which you can write in a book. It isn't just ethics, which you can make a list of. We actually have dealings with a risen saviour. You can't have this sort of experience without a person. 
Now you know that just from normal life. For 47 years I was, I was married to the greatest Christian I've ever known. Every time, and I mean every time, she came into the room where I was, my, my heart just lit up. People do that to, those, to you, don't they? Certain people. And there are other people, well, aren't there other people? <laughs> a man used to come and see me when, in a certain city where I once lived with a problem. He said I, he felt I was the only minister he could trust. He cycled two hours to come to see me. But, and then he would talk for two, about two hours and he would talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk about himself. And I, literally I had to go to bed. Every time he came I had to go to bed. He was so exhausting. Are any of you like this by the way? <laughs> Do you know people like this? They are so exhausting they wear you out. Something happens to you when they come. The first is you look around the window to see who really is ringing the bell. Oh, no. no. Or am I the only one like that? And there are other people when the doorbell rings and you, you see who it is, you can't get to the door quick enough, can you, to let them in. Wherever there's people, there's a feltness about the relationship. Isn't there? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Can you have love without feeling anything? You ladies, what would you say if your husband said to you, darling, I love you, but I don't feel anything for you? Yeah, exactly. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. <laughs> the old Puritan said, joy is peace, dancing. Love, joy, peace. So what's peace? Peace is joy resting. But it's felt, isn't it? And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Wherever the Holy Spirit is at work, says the Scripture, that you will find in the heart of the person where the Spirit is at work, you will find love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness and self-control. Because something happens. We call it Christian experience and it happens because there's a person making it happen. But he uses means. Look at verse 27. Beginning with Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible, and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So their minds weren't switched off. Their minds were switched on as he expounded and explained the scriptures. Verse 45. Well, let's first start in verse 44. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. In other words, the Old Testament. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Now some people claim to have spiritual experiences but they switch their mind 
off. Years ago, there was something called the Toronto Blessing. Have you ever heard of it? Some of you have heard of it. If you had the Toronto Blessing, you, you fell to the ground. This was the normal experience. And then very often, you either barked like a dog, or you meowed like a pussy, or you went, like something else. And the whole thing was a switching off of the mind. God doesn't do it that way. The spirit you've received, says the New Testament, is the spirit of a sound mind. Wherever something happens which is spiritual, truly spiritual, the mind is switched on. And the mind is switched on to Scripture. And you see the wonder of it all in the Scriptures. <laughs> You're moved by the vastness and the glory of it all. There was a famous gospel singer years ago called George Beverly Shea. He, he just died not so long ago at the age of 104. And he used to sing at the crusades of a preacher called Billy Graham. Billy Graham in those days travelled across the Atlantic in a, in a liner, often on the Queen Mary. And one day Billy Graham was in the, in the ship and George Beverly Shea was walking on the desk, on the deck, on the deck, and a man came up to him who was a publisher. He said, uh, Mr. Shea, he said, what is it makes all those people go to hear Billy Graham? And George Beverly Shea said, it's the wonder of it all. At that point he wrote a gospel hymn which was usually, was at one point very, very popular. Oh, the wonder of it all. The wonder of it all. Just a Think, 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 think. Just to think that God loves me. Something went through the mind. It's wonderful. It's thrilling. It's a burning in my heart. Which brings us to our next point. So we have two disciples having an experience Two disciples both having an identical experience. The author of that experience is Christ. The means of that experience is Scripture. The nature of that experience. Well, they call it hearts burning within us. We all know what fire is and you all know that with fire there's light and there's heat. It's a very good way of talking about spiritual experience. What are you? Are you just a collection of atoms randomly put together? Is that what you are? Are you? What are you? Well, Scripture says you are body, that's the physical part of you, and you are soul, sometimes called spirit. That's the invisible part of you. Body, soul. I can see that bit. I can't see that bit. You can chop my arms off and it's still me. 
You can chop my legs off and it's still me, but please don't chop my head off. The body is divisible. You can chop it into bits. The soul is not divisible. You can't chop it into bits. But if you like, it's like a cylinder. Now, this is picture language, which has two ends to it. At one end, it has the mind, and the other end, it has the will. That's it. That is the soul. It is mind and will, thinking and choosing. So what is emotion, biblically? Now, forget what you've picked up through the years, mostly from Greek philosophy, though you didn't know that, because that's what percolated into the British educational system. Forget all that for a moment. The Bible is quite clear. Body, soul. Soul is thinking, the mind, choosing the will. So what is an emotion? An emotion is a strong, strong movement of the will. And let me explain. This is not a very nice illustration, and it might shock one or two younger people, but I'll, I'll give it anyway. Two boys that I know, they were 12 and 10, were walking along the road on their way home from school. They were brothers. In front of them, on the pavement, was an old lady who suddenly tripped and fell into the road and a lorry ran over her head. Those boys were traumatized. Why? Because there was something inside them which said, No! 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 There was a motion of their will saying, No! That's a negative emotion. Now, a positive emotion, a little more friendly, this one. I used to say to my wife, where would you like to go on holiday? She, she always gave me the same answer. I don't care where we go, as long as I'm with you, and we go somewhere where nobody knows us, and I can have an ice cream every day. <laughs> she loved ice cream. She particularly loved McDonald's ice cream. Right, okay. Toffee... Sunday, S-U-N-D-A-E, by the way. Have you ever had a caramel or toffee Sunday from McDonald's? Yes. Yeah, good, because if you haven't, you haven't, you're not really living yet properly. <laughs> My wife would go in and give her a caramel or toffee Sunday. I could just see her levitating. <laughs> and why? Because there was something inside her saying, Yes! 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 That's what we call a positive emotion. It's a strong movement of the will. It's, that's what emotion is. Now then, what's happening on the Emmaus Road with these two disciples is that they're down in the dumps? No, 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 they've crucified him. No, no, our world's come to an end. Oh, no, 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 we're expecting him to be the Messiah and 
and it's not happened, everything's ruined, oh no, we don't know what's going on now, we hear all these confusing reports, oh, it's, oh, it's all no, no, no! Then along comes a stranger, takes the Bible, starts explaining it to them, and then they think, oh, oh, ah, yes, Yes, I see. Oh, yes, I see. And by the time they've got to Emmaus, they're saying, Yes, yes! And the stranger says, I must leave you now. Oh, no, you're not leaving us now, they say. <laughs> you stay with us. Yes! Does it ever happen to you? That's what spiritual experience is. And that's what we're talking about. It's light and it's heat. And it's something, it stirs you inside. And you understand something, but you're moved by it. You can never be the same. It's not just you're believing something now, ticking off the tick boxes. It's become a root conviction. It's become part of you. It's risen into you. It's your heart. And that's real Christianity, as I find it in my Bible. Now, somebody's going to say, well, you can play on the emotions, can't you? Yes, you can. The Gestapo used to do it. The Gestapo, the German secret police in the last war. They would talk to a prisoner and offer him something to eat and drink and smoke and be very gentle to him, and then they would shout. And you can do that with little children. Talk to them very quietly. I'm not, I don't want to give you parents any tips or any wrong ideas. But you can talk to children very quietly and then shout at them and talk to them very quietly and shout at them and eventually they will do anything you want. But it's not obedience. They've been manipulated. Because eventually they just break down inside and they just comply. That's not obedience. That's just a form of abuse. Yes, you can, you can play on emotions. The Bible doesn't do that. Spiritual experience is feeding the mind with Christ from the Scriptures. And then the born-again soul inside says, yes! And the more it understands, the stronger the emotion becomes. But we're not manipulating people. If you tell enough sad stories in a row... You can make a congregation weep. You can play the crowd, as they say. So you can make people storm with enthusiasm or weep like infants just by playing the crowd, by using a few emotional tricks. Music with a strong rhythm played at 5,000 decibels usually does the trick. But the Bible doesn't do that. Real spiritual experience is a matter of the soul, and the soul is understanding. Understanding. And then say, yes, yes, yes. Or, if appropriate, no, no, no. Well, what was the result of this experience? That's number six on my list. Look at verse 33. Verse 32, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Verse 33, 
they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Wow! It's dark! Seven miles! There's highwaymen! There's no street lights! But they go straight back to Jerusalem in a hurry. They don't say, oh, we'll go in the morning. Well, something's happening here, isn't it? There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Isn't that interesting? Experience is not just a flash in the pan. It brings about fruit in the life. These two people, Cleopas and whoever the other person was, have this experience and the immediate effect is that they will risk danger and they will risk discomfort so they can get back to the people that they belong and tell them about Jesus. This is exactly what they do. They didn't go back and said, <laughs> we've had an experience. Now we belong to the spiritual elite. We've, we've had an experience you haven't had. <laughs> we've, we've seen him. He broke bread with us. He came and stayed in our house. <laughs> spiritual experience doesn't do that. Doesn't do that. Wherever the Holy Spirit's at work, he brings people down, you know. You always go down to meet God. The way to hell is up and the way to heaven is down. Never forget that. They don't want to talk about themselves. This is what happened to us. This is what happened to us. And then at last, it was clear to us who he was when he broke the bread. They're talking about Jesus. Sometimes you meet Christians and they say, I've had a wonderful experience today, I want to tell you about it. Be careful with that. But sometimes you meet Christians, they say, something's happened to me. And they talk about Jesus. My door knocked one day and there was a man standing there I'd never met before, but I knew who he was because someone had once described him to me. He'd, he'd been through a very, very, very severe mental illness and had been in hospital for a very long time and was now out. That's how I knew about him. He was living not too far away. And there he was at the door. I need to see you, he said to me. I said, oh yeah, okay, come in. I said, what's on your mind? And I was expecting something to do with his medical difficulties, his mental health problems. I can't stop thinking about Jesus, he said. I said, yeah, tell me more. Well, I've been th I can't stop thinking about his cross. I said, yeah, okay, but what's troubling you? What's troubling me, he says, is I've got this feeling that he did it for me. <laughs> Where did that come from? What do you think had happened to him? He wants to talk about Jesus. He wants to talk about the cross. He's got this feeling that 
What happened on the cross? Jesus did it for him. Where, where did that come from? <laughs> the man had been converted, hadn't he? <laughs> but he hadn't got any vocabulary or any words to describe it. But he could talk about Jesus. That's what people do when they have a real spiritual experience. They talk about the Saviour. So, last of all, number seven, we come to the relevance of all this, the relevance of that experience. Why, why, why is this in the Bible? Why? Well, for us to learn from. That's what everything is in the Bible for. A true meeting with Christ is felt. That's what this is teaching us. Christ is not a logical deduction. He's a person, a living person, a resurrected person who has dealings with people and when he has dealings with them, it's him that they're enthralled by. A true meeting with Christ is felt. That's true at the beginning. To become a Christian at all, you have to repent. And you can't repent without feeling something. You can't be sorry for your sin without being sorry for your sin, can you? Becoming a Christian is repentance and faith. When you're overcome with a sense of your sin, and then you find that there's a saviour for sinners, you will at least, at least feel some sense of relief, won't you? Won't you? And if you've never ever felt that sin is awful and damning, and you've never felt some sense of relief that God has provided a perfect saviour for people like you, I doubt very much whether you're a Christian, because I simply don't believe that it's possible to meet the Son of God without feeling something. I just don't think it's possible. True Christianity is not just a logical deduction. There's a meeting of ministers in London called the Westminster Fellowship. It's been going for many, many years. I'm a member of it, so I don't go very often. But I remember once going down from Liverpool to the Westminster Fellowship. And as I arrived, I I was a bit late. And I had to come in the door. It's one of those places where you come in the door and everyone's facing you. It's not very easy if you're late. We've got some Welsh chapels designed like that. As I came in, people all looked at me and a few of them went, you know, ministers do that sometimes. And I thought, that's strange. And when I sat down to the next verse, someone, he said, that's really good news, you know. Didn't know what he was talking about. Then later on, somebody says, it's wonderful what we're hearing. And they were hearing that the revival had broken out in Liverpool. (laughs) Well, I was living in Liverpool, I hadn't heard about it. So I was quite fascinated by this. They said, well, we've met these people who say they've been walking down the Breck Road, which is near Anfield Stadium, and everybody we talk to seems to be a Christian. And it's it's obvious that there's there's been some form of revival in, in, in Liverpool. Well, what actually the truth was this, that these, a couple of, of, of people from a, another country across the, well, you know, where Washington is, um, 
had come to had come to Liverpool, and they walked down the Breck Road, and they stopped people. They say, uh, "Do you believe that uh, in Jesus Christ?" And they say, "Yeah." Do you believe he lived? Yeah. Do you believe he died? Yeah. Do you believe he rose from again from the dead? Yeah. Do you believe he died for you? Yeah. And they oh great, it's wonderful to meet a Christian. And they would pray with them and walk on to the next person and say, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes. Do you believe he lived? Yes. Do you believe he died? Yes. Do you believe he rose again from the dead? Yes. Oh, it's wonderful to meet another Christian. Uh, they obviously never met Scousers before. A Scouser, by the way, is a native of Liverpool. They just said all that to get rid of this nuisance. Probably. But maybe they didn't. Maybe they did believe that Jesus Christ lives, but the devil believes that, and he's not a Christian. And maybe they did believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, but the devil believes that, and he's not a Christian. And maybe they did believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and the devil believes that, and he's not very happy about it, but he's not a Christian. There's more to a Christian than the ticking off the boxes. I believe the right thing. 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 That's, that's not the Christianity which I find in my, my New Testament. Christians are men and women who have dealings with Christ. It was so obvious to the early church that they called these people Christians. Before that, they called them the people of the way. Who's the way? Jesus is the way to God. And then they came up with this, this insult. Those are, he's a Christ man. She's a Christ woman. He's a Christ teenager. Christians! Because it was all about Christ and their love for him. And now they were seeing them martyred in the amphitheatres crucified on the roads outside Rome, dying of hunger and thirst in Roman prisons, and loving the Lord Jesus Christ so much that they could not bring themselves to say, Caesar is Lord. So they died for it. Because they had a real meeting with Christ. Do you know that the devil goes to church? If he was here this morning, he wouldn't have been very pleased, you know. He wouldn't have been pleased, especially with the last hymn. To God be the glory, great things he has done. The devil would spit at that. He's not without emotion, you know. And he hates God. He hates the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He hates the fact that the kingdom of Christ is spreading and he can't stop it. He hates the truth of the gospel. The devil is filled with emotion. His emotion is hate. And yet in many churches there's... No emotion. Nobody seems moved by anything. We talk about sin and there's never a tear. We talk about Christ and there's never a cheer. We don't all have the same temperament, as I tried to explain at the beginning. But 
Mr. Stoneheart and Mrs. Stoneheart, you've got to look at yourself. The burning heart is the great, great mark of a regenerate heart. I see it and I love it and it's wonderful because I see him and I love him and he is wonderful. Let's sing together.